Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel this morning is from the first chapter of St. Mark. As soon as they, which means Jesus and these first four disciples who had been called, as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. But Jesus answered, let us go into the neighboring towns also, so that I may proclaim the message there as well, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, it was April 18th, 1987, a day I'll remember, of course. I was participating in the Model United Nations uh, event at some fancy-dancy hotel near um, Grand Central Station in New York City, which only matters because that's where the Chicago Bulls were staying and would always stay when they were in town to play the New York Knicks. It was late, and I was headed up to my room in the upper floor. On some upper floor, I was alone, so there was no one there to verify the truthfulness of the story, I will admit. But as God is my witness, the elevator stopped, and I I stepped to the back, my head down, sort of uh, to avoid an awkward eye contact, and what stepped in inside that elevator were two of the largest feet I've ever seen in my life. They were enormous. To this day, I can picture those feet. They were huge, and I had to get a better view, a picture of what, was, what, what this was all about. So I slowly sort of glanced upward at this body, hoping that he would not notice me, but in any case, to discover that I was alone on an elevator with... Michael Jordan, of course, one of the greatest days of my life. Well, not really, but now if I only had a chance, though, to map all of this out in advance, I would have been the the calm one, the cool one, just collected, nonchalant. I would have had the perfect comment, a great question, some kind of reference, I don't know, a little laugh. I asked him for tickets to the game the next night, something. I mean, my goodness gracious. Talk about the game-running shot against Georgetown that, that set his career in motion. Any of that could have said something, but no. It took me a half a minute just to say, um, are you uh, Michael Jordan? Duh. And he smiled, shook his head, got off the elevator, and it was over just like that. I've always liked Michael Jordan, so whenever that commercial came out, which you might remember, um, the Gatorade commercial, Be Like Mike, do you remember that? And that phrase that sort of became sort of common uh, throughout the, the 1990s, Be Like Mike, I was all in. Heck yeah, I want to be like Mike. I mean, he's a winner. He's a hard worker. He never lets up. He, he finishes what he starts. And that dunk from the foul line, I mean, my goodness gracious, there are lots of boys in their backyards pretending to make that same shot. Be like Mike. I promise this will make sense. 
So we're in the first chapter of St. Mark. It's been the first part of the year, the beginning of a new year, so we wanted to take a close look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That's why we've looked at the first chapter of Mark's gospel. The first things in Jesus' life, His first steps, His first uh, conversations, His first words, His first teaching. Today, we wrap up this first chapter, or the study of the first chapter, and it's, and it's interesting that it's in this particular passage where it all seems to come together. Um, in fact, it's incredible, really, because, because based on this one brief chapter in the Bible, we learn what Jesus cares about the most. We learn His values. We learn His priorities. We learn, based on these values and priorities, we learn what is most important to Jesus, what He cares about, what He loves the most. And, and essentially, what Mark is saying to us in these brief verses is this, be like Jesus. So let's take a look, closer look at this reading because we who at least have, have been called as disciples, we who might raise our hand when Jesus says, follow me, it seems appropriate that we would want to know what that looks like, right? So let's take a closer look at this reading. I'd invite you to follow along. Uh, verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, as I mentioned, that means Jesus and the first four folks who He has called as His disciples, Simon, His brother Andrew, James, and John, where they had just, where Jesus had just healed a man with an unclean spirit. You might remember that from last week's sermon. Um, they entered into Simon, into the house of Simon and Andrew. Again, they were brothers, and and they noticed there that Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, was in bed with a fever, and so they told him about her all at once. And and of course, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve everyone. Beautiful story. In and of itself, it's just a a beautiful story, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law of her fever. Uh, We had a COVID-positive participant in my online Bible study on Thursday morning. He was not feeling well. You could tell he had a little bit of fever and some aches, but he just was bound to determine to be there. And he was online, so he was perfectly safe. He was in the comfort of his own home. But we told him, hey, this reading, it's all for you, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law's fever, which is true, this healing story. It's true. But of course, it's much more than that. And here's what I mean. I don't know if you noticed this, but I found it very, very interesting that half of the verses in the first chapter of Mark's gospel show Jesus caring for others, specifically the vulnerable, the outcasts, those who are down on their luck. And rest assured, that is absolutely no accident. Caring for others is an incredibly part, important part of Jesus' ministry. It's so easy for us to overlook and to just make that very broad assumption. Jesus, nice guy. He wants to care for other people. But notice how significant His care for others plays out in Mark's gospel, specifically this first chapter. And it's not just when Jesus has time. He went out of His way to care. He broke social protocol to care. He even broke the Sabbath law in order to care for someone, which becomes a principle of His ministry, compassion before law. Big Red cuts hair at Master Cuts in West Charlotte. He's a big old bulky, intimidating guy, quite honestly. Um, Whenever you leave his place, he always says, be you be good. Uh, Now, give him a chance and he'll tell you, don't let anything stand in the way, he says. Just be good. Come on. Be good. Do good. That's what's going to change our community. That's what's going to change this neighborhood. That's what's going to change our world. And he's right. Be you. 
be good. <laughs> and that's clearly Jesus' priority, and that's important. But again, it's much more than that because Jesus has a much broader message here. He cares for the vulnerable for a purpose, certainly because He cares for the vulnerable and certainly because He loves the vulnerable, but it's also because of His deep desire to restore this world, a world that, that sort of fell into disarray. You remember at the Garden of Eden when, when sin entered into the picture and they were cast out of the garden, Jesus' grand desire, God's great desire is to restore this world to that original place, to that garden again, to make creation whole again, to make all things new. That's, that's the priority of God. That's why, why Jesus, throughout His ministry, challenged the powers of this world at every opportunity. That's why He sat at the table with sinners and with prostitutes. That's why He raised that little girl from the dead. That's why He Himself rose from the dead, because it's His first priority, number one, to make all things new which is precisely what he calls his church to do, right? I mean, that's number one on our list of agenda items. We might think there are other more important things to do, but no, of course not. To make all things new. If we want to follow Jesus, then our number one task is to be about the business of helping God at every opportunity to make all things new, to heal society with the power of God's love. And get this, there's no one way to do it, of course. There's no message from on high or from ecclesiastical authority that tells you there's this, just this one way to do just that. There's no one big answer. There are many ways, many answers, as many as, as there are followers of Jesus in this world. Listen, listen, this is the first act of Jesus, and in it, He's showing us how important it is to get into the mess of the neighborhood, to get involved in the messiness of our surroundings, just like He did, and, and, and help make it new again. How? Through the power of love. Don't make excuses, Big Red would say. Just be you. Be good. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. That evening at sunset, which means that it's now Sabbath is over, and that's important because as a result, they brought him all who were sick and possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. That's something they would not have been able to do during the Sabbath day, of course, and so they waited till the Sabbath was over. Then everybody flocked around the door where Jesus was. Why? Well, come on, it shouldn't be a surprise because his reputation was spreading. They had never seen someone with such compassion um, in in their community, and so they wanted to be near him. By the way, that's what communities do. When they, when they see you hard at work restoring the community, they want to be with you. They want to be right there with you, right? And so, as a result, Jesus cured all the many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, which shows us Jesus Second priority. Number two, to claim authority over the power of evil in this world. You know, there are two things going on here. In a, in a very practical sense, Jesus rebuked the powers, the voices of hate and evil. And so this is in some ways a sidebar comment, but I think an important one. Could we just agree 
right? Make a pledge ourselves to do the same. I mean, really, can we? Certainly in the halls of Congress these days, I would love for all of us to make that pledge together, but also maybe in the pages of social media or in our everyday conversation, simply to refuse speech that is laced with hate, to refuse speech that's overly provocative, that's riddled with lies. Just refuse it. You have the power to refuse it. Do it. Don't engage it. And if, if you can, dare to rebuke it but don't give it the honor of your presence. I mean, that's what Jesus did. And if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow a a literal sort of understanding of who Jesus is, then let's do what Jesus did. Let's be like Jesus. He would not permit the demons to speak, we're told in the gospel. He wouldn't allow hate to be spoken in his presence without clearly lifting up the greater power of God's love. We are called to do the same. It's interesting. In the middle of the racial unrest of the 1960s, after watching yet another cross burn in a black man's yard, Martin Luther King referred to this particular passage, this reference in the, in the Gospel of Mark, to speak about the courage of Jesus who had refused to stand silence in the presence of evil in the world. And Martin Luther King said this, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Jesus would say the same to his church today. Jesus would say the same to each and every one of us today. But there's more to it than just that, than just speaking up to evil, as important as that is. Because in a broader sense, Jesus was claiming all authority of all of that which is desperate to separate us. Because that's what hate seeks to do. That's what evil seeks to do, what Satan's first priority is. The only thing on Satan's agenda for the day is to separate us, separate us from from one another, to separate us from God, right? To divide us. And Jesus says, no, that ultimately nothing will separate us from the power of God's love through Jesus Christ. Hate will try. Satan will try. The powers of evil will try. But Jesus claims authority over all of that, which is what we're called to do as well. We are always going to cling to something, right? So choose this day to cling to Jesus' authority, not the authority of hate. Let's keep reading. Verse 35, in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Again, it's sort of easy to overlook this very important part of Jesus' ministry, isn't it? Jesus prayed. We assume that Jesus prays. And so when we see that Jesus is praying, we we just sort of accept that as a given. But notice that it's prioritized here, the significance of this stepping away. You see why? Because Jesus prioritized his relationship with his heavenly Father. Any relationship with keeping, after all, uh, takes intentionality. It takes purpose. It, It takes time, time that we are to carefully set aside. It takes being fully present. And so, therefore, if we are to follow Jesus, right, which is what this is all about, if we're to follow Jesus, then we, too, must, number three, make time for Jesus. Seems rather obvious, right? 
Engage in holy conversation, worship on a regular basis, pray daily, acknowledge the goodness of God in, in, that surrounds you. Pledge today to invest deeply in your relationship with God. Not because it's a burden, because, but because that investment allows you to claim that which God wants desperately for you to give you life and life that is abundant. So this, this investment in relationship should never feel like a, a checklist of things to do to grow as a Christian, but as an opportunity to learn the beauty of God's promise that for you is life that is life abundant. Invest in that relationship. And finally, verse 36, as Jesus prayed, Simon and his companions, they hunted him down. I love that phrase. When they found him, they said to him, hey, Jesus, everybody, they're searching for you. Why? Because they wanted him to return to Capernaum. That's where he had been. That's where he had been healing. That's where he had been doing these amazing acts of ministry. They wanted him to go back to the neighborhood to to sort of raise up the neighborhood, to really turn that place into an amazing, renewed, restored place. Come back with us, Jesus, uh, to our own homes, to places that are oh so very familiar to us. But Jesus answered, no, let's go to the neighboring towns so that I might proclaim the message there also, he said. For that is what I came out to do. And so Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. That is what I came to do, Jesus said, to proclaim, number four, to proclaim the love of God and not just to proclaim it within these four walls. Not just to proclaim it in places that are comfortable and easy to proclaim it, to go to places that may be foreign to us, that may be uncomfortable to us, to places that, well, where that word desperately needs to be heard. Go those places, Jesus said. Let's not just stay in our own neighborhood, Jesus said. Let's go to the neighboring communities, to the neighboring towns, to the neighboring villages, because there the proclamation of Jesus' love is is needed as well. So it begs the question, doesn't it? What does that mean for you and for me? I'm not convinced that Jesus is an answer for that for each of us individually. Instead, what it begs for us is a bit of self-reflection. So what would it look like for you to proclaim the love of Jesus in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, among your colleagues, among your friends, whatever your tasks are for that given day. You see, every now and then, we, we do. I, I think it's good for us to do a bit of self-evaluation about what our messaging is for that day. As you go to bed at night, to evaluate, so what was the message that others heard from me today? I hope that it's the message of God's love. Here's the deal. In the first chapter of Mark's gospel, we've, we've been given a script for what it looks like to follow Jesus, a beautiful script, an Emmy-winning script. <laughs> it's simple. Care for the things that Jesus cared about. Love the things that Jesus loved. Prioritize the things that Jesus prioritized. Center your life, in fact, around these priorities, number one care deeply for others. Number two, rebuke the voices of hate. Number three, 
spend time with Jesus. And number four, proclaim the love of God in all that you do. Proclaim it. Friends, look, if we would all claim those four priorities as our priorities, this community, my goodness gracious, it would be a different place. This world would be a different place. And here's the thing. It begins with you, right? It begins with me because, you know, this is really important. Jesus, did you notice this? Jesus did not start a church. Jesus invited a single person to follow him. It all starts there. Don't you see? The heart of Jesus is to show you that you are uniquely gifted to make a big difference in the lives of others, that you have a unique and an essential role to play in helping to restore our community, our nation, our world. You might not believe in yourself, but Jesus believes in you. And today, He gives you the grace you need to follow Him. Won't you do just that? Amen.